We were on IS 53 in the middle of <coughs> using this translation, page 710. Billahi the top of the page. وإذا سألتموهن فاسألوهن من وراء حجاب ذلكم أطهر لقلوبكم وقلوبهن وما كان لكم أن تؤذوا رسول الله ولا أن تنكحوا أزواجه من بعده أبدا إن ذلكم كان عند الله عظيم One of the themes of this surah is how Muslims should avoid harming, injuring, and causing grief and distress to the Prophet So as uh, a merit and an honor to Rasulullah revealed this whole surah so that no Muslim uh, who knows that he or she is a Muslim would ever intentionally and or unintentionally harm the Rasul So whatever harms the Rasul, they should also avoid, meaning his uh, family, his wives, his uh, daughters, the Sahaba, and the whole Muslim community. The purpose of being a Muslim is to follow Allah and the only way to follow Allah is to follow the Rasul and if you don't hurt the Rasul you will not be following Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the focus here in this ayah especially and the overall focus of the surah as you will see now from here on end has been that the the office of the Rasul must be not only precious but it must be an office that is saved from any kind of harm or hurt or insult against uh, the Prophet and everybody who is affiliated with him, either legally or by birth, by marriage, or by the deen. Because we are all affiliated with the Prophet through our iman and through our deen. So here, this after... <coughs> the story we read that the Prophet invited this group of Sahaba to have some food with him after his nikah with Zainab they overstayed their welcome but the Prophet did not say anything to them out of respect and out of shame and modesty and Allah says that uh, Allah is not ashamed to tell you the truth so Allah took on the responsibility of informing the Sahaba you can't do this because in Nadalikum Kanayuddin Nabiya because indeed this hurts the Prophet. 
فيستحي منكم والله لا يستحي من الحق That's one issue. The second issue in this ayah, the same issue, is that when you are with the Prophet ﷺ in his home, then you must maintain the honor and dignity of his family, of his wives. And the way to do that is through a formal request, and not to become informal with uh, neither him nor his wives. Here there are some formalities that are needed. There's always a protocol when you want to meet somebody higher in rank than you. So you just don't say, well, he's our Nabi and he's our Prophet, so, you know, if he's in the masjid, he should not be the same, he should be the same person as he is in his house. So Allah says, no. <coughs> right? Equality, we Muslims are very big nowadays about equality and being transparent and so on. So <coughs> you Allah subhanahu wa says, this is an area and a place and a time when he is not supposed to be transparent. Nor should you say that he should be transparent. So Umar radiallahu came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, there are so many people who come to you, even uh, in your house, and uh, we don't know what intentions they have. So we should safeguard your family and your wives from such people because you never know who is who so as Rasulullah was uh, thinking about this this ayah was revealed meaning this part of this ayah and if you are to request, request anything of them meaning the wives of the Prophet then do so from behind a screen. From behind the hijab, a parda. Screen, meaning that you should not be in front of them, and they should not be in front of you. And this is protocol. This is formality. Be formal with the family of the Prophet They're not your mates and your friends and your buddies. They are the family of Rasul so don't assume that since they're human and we're human it doesn't work that way be careful as you know with every office if you're going to go and visit somebody and from whom you are going to ask for service then there's an adab there's an etiquette meaning there's a protocol and if you don't know that then you're not part of the human civilization So when you have an imam in the community, meaning uh, in front of you, uh, on the uh, musalla and the imam's prayer area and rug and mat, and then that should be somewhat distinctive from others. Then you mustn't go there and launch your campaign of equality. Why is the imam special? Because he's in front of you, that's why. If you're the imam, then you're in front. Right? Some people say that you shouldn't have any uh, separate parking spaces for the Imam or Muslim. So why not? Where is he going to park if he is five minutes late? Right. It's no equality. So nonsense. Adab. There's a protocol. There's a separation. He is the Imam because he is Imam. He's in front of you. Respect that. 
Well, if you want that kind of equality, then everybody should be in line with the Imam when he's praying. Oh, let's all stand together in the name of unity and equality. Let's all stand in line with the Imam. Your salat will be invalid. So sometimes the Muslim Umar overthinks too many issues. So likewise here, Umar, seeing the danger that people will become too friendly and informal with the family of the Prophet suggested this to the Rasul and then Allah subhanahu wa came with this part of the ayah to confirm and acknowledge yes, this is something they should do have a separation meaning even in your homes uh, in the homes of the Prophet maintain that separation that distance and keep yourselves formal don't become buddy buddy with them all the time there's an element of respect that's needed because that is for the Prophet's honor this is much more pure for you in your hearts and in their hearts for your hearts and for their hearts meaning this is the way forward for Muslims from now on yes you know them you know them by name you probably seen them in the days of Jahiliya or even, beha- even before the after Islam before the uh, issue of hijab and farada upon the wives of the Prophet revealed, you know them and they know you. But there is no escape from the human reality of an insinuating thought. Everybody wants to be close to the Prophet And one way to be close to the Prophet is to be close to them, to his family. And once you penetrate that, then you say, hey, maybe there's something here. So you don't want that relationship to start. Like an unnecessary physical relationship. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved the honor and the dignity of the office of the Prophet And by making sure that his wives were also preserved and their dignity was also preserved. So they have a standard of taqwa which is higher than the standard of taqwa for other women. So nobody could see the wives of the Prophet. And then Allah mentions this again. It's not for you that you heard the Rasul of Allah. But if you go about saying that, you know, I have a good relationship with this one. Well, I can talk to this one. I'm very free with this one. So Allah said, no. You're not going to be free with anybody. There's a protocol. There's an adab. And that adab has to be not only established, but maintained. Nor is it fitting for any of you to marry any of his wives hereafter. Ever meaning after the Prophet left this world, nobody could say that they will propose to any of his wives haram upon the Ummah. Abada, ever. Meaning there was no idda period for the wives of the Prophet. They didn't see the idda. It's permanent idda. 
right? Yeah. The reason for that uh, is mentioned in many of the books. Of, obviously, the nikah between the Prophet and all of his wives is still intact. It's still intact. Yeah. And that's how we see this as an honor to the Prophet <coughs> So treat the wives of the Prophet and the family of the Prophet as if they are right next to the Prophet in honor. إِنَّ ذَلِكُمْ كَانَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ Indeed, that for you would be very huge and very evil. Alim here means that the idea of thinking about any of the wives becoming any of your wives, that is huge sin. Alim, huge. Implications that uh, are beyond us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they are off limits, period, for everybody in the Ummah. <coughs> that's why in the beginning of the Surah, Allah says, وَأَزْوَاجُهُ أُمَّهَاتُهُمْ right, right in the beginning of the Surah, surah which we also did, <coughs> that his wives are your mothers, so honor them. The difference is, there is a parada between these mothers and uh, their children. So in the beginning of the surah, somebody might start thinking, oh, the wives of the Prophet are our mothers, so we can be informal with them. Here this ayah says, no, you can't be informal with them, even though they're your mothers, because we don't want you to assume that you can become that familiar and uh, affectionate with them, that you start having other thoughts that is going to destroy you and your iman. Is going to hurt the Prophet. So that's not happening. So that ayah is now explained here by this ayah. That is the spiritual understanding, and this is the legal understanding. That in the spiritual world, they are your mothers. And in the legal sense, they are still your mothers, but hands off. They are always going to be non mahram for you. In that sense. You can't touch them. You cannot communicate with them. Unless is min wara'i hijab from beyond the screen. So when Aisha radiallahu anha taught all of her students who were male, it was always behind the screen. From behind the parda. So maintaining the dignity and the honor of her husband, the Prophet and also maintaining the dignity of her students. She said, this is the way we're going to learn, and this is the right way we're going to teach. And the parada did not prevent them from learning or teaching. From the Sahaba, Aisha is one of the most prolific teachers. She had some of the best students, most of whom were male. <coughs> Meaning that the barrier didn't stop them from not from learning. The barrier was not a barrier against learning. The barrier was a barrier against nonsensical thoughts about the other gender. That's what the barrier is there for. Not because we don't want men and women to interact and learn from each other. So the Tabi'un who benefited from Aisha, radiallahu anha, there are so many. And you see their names in the books of Hadith. 
and you see that they narrate from Aisha. And whenever they narrate from Aisha, we know that Aisha would teach from behind the veil. It's a very simple veil. Piece of cloth or whatever the chadaf was. But that's the way that Islam initiated learning and teaching. That if you want to learn and teach wahi, then you follow the rules of the person of wahi. That is Rasulullah. This is as far as the wives of the Prophet. In tubdu shay'an aw tukhfuhu fa inna Allah kana bikulli shay'in alim. If you are to hide something, uh, if you are to manifest something, uh, disclose something, and make it open and obvious, or if you are to hide and conceal something, any thought or idea or intention in your minds and your hearts, then you must know indeed Allah knows everything. Allah knows what your ideas are, what your thoughts are, what your intentions are. Allah reads you, He knows, and He hears what it is you are thinking. And because we know that human beings are weak, and human beings invariably will be gravitating towards each other when there's a very good uh, comment made. Right. So when somebody appeals to you in public, or in private, then you will want to see and meet and befriend that person. This is normal. <coughs> Somebody gives a good lecture, you want to see that person. Right? Somebody who's a good entertainer, you want to see that person. Somebody who gives a good speech and a lecture, you want to meet that person. Somebody who's in sports, and a celebrity and an athlete, you want to gauge that person. Five million people wanted to see the Cubs. Oh, how many? Five million. It's just normal. So Allah is saying, this is normal behavior. The idea and the thought that somebody appeals to you, you are invariably attracted to that person, and when you're attracted, you say, hey, this is good. Then you gain pleasure with the company. And then when you gain pleasure, then you look for pleasure in different ways. And there goes society. That's the end. Then the devil does his job. Have fun. That's all the devil does. He just allows you to meet your friends. And the rest is history. So whether you hide something or whether you expose yourself, say, I, you know, I want to be with you in this way, which is haram, then you must know Allah knows. And he will expose it someday. Whether it's in this world or the world hereafter. You will see it in front of you. Uh, either this world or the world hereafter. So Allah says that this is not about the permissibility of looking at a woman or a woman looking at a man. This is not about the permissibility of being co-workers or being co-students and colleagues is not the permissibility of normal transactions over the counter when you go to the bank. This is about you. This is about how diseased and sick you are. That every time you see somebody who may look good, or sound good, or feel good, there's only one thought in your mind. 
which is sick. Right? And that is promoted. It is normal. It is normal. Yeah. So Allah is saying, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِكُلِّ شَيْنْ عَلِيمًا that remember Allah is there with you. He knows what it is you are thinking. He knows your intention. And He knows your inability to protect yourself from your own self. It's so huge, so therefore we will levy okay, certain restrictions on you as protocol. That is not the way you mix and mingle in the name of Islam. The most unfortunate part of the Muslim agenda in the U.S. of A. is that they want to <coughs> justify haram in the name of Islam. It might be a bit more reassuring for most Muslims if, you know, we're not saying that we condone sin. <coughs> that we, we, we're telling people that you can sin out. We're saying that if you commit a sin and you're with the devil, 24-7, then uh, you should not say that Islam allows me to do this. Right? If you want to mix and mingle and you have pleasure and you, you want a good social gathering and you want to have uh, niceties and pleasantries and you want to enjoy each other's company, whether it's mahram or mahram or in the workplace or the school or whatever, that's all fine, but don't say we are allowed to do this. And then on top of that, people are saying we should do this. Right? And then on top of that, it's our right to do this. So justifying haram in the name of Islam is the latest uh, cunning scheme of the devil, which unfortunately Muslims of America have not only bitten into, they've swallowed it, they've digested it, and they've become it. Everything that is abnormal in Islam is now Islamic in the U.S. of A. Why? Because they don't seem to understand protocol. When you talk about Islam, you are talking about the Rasul, sallallahu Are you not? When you're talking about Islam, you are talking about the Quran. Are you not? When you talk about Islam, you are talking about knowledge that came from Wahi, which is divine. Is that true? Or is it that, no, Muslims of America have a special place in history because they're in America. You don't have to wait until January for that. It's already happened. There's your special place. Right? Nobody likes you. This is the unfortunate reality. So what we need to do is understand that uh, in Islam there is the, the office of the Rasul When you are talking about Islam, you are representing him. And would he say to you that this is your right or you should do this and this is proper and this is not? No way. He would never say this. He would never tell you to do this because they are not allowed to nor are they capable of uh, condoning any kind of sin where it might result in your uh, failure to procure salvation in front of Allah subhanahu wa So they're not worried about what happens necessarily to you in this world. They are concerned about what happens to you in the other world. That's why they are prophets. 
And that's why they talk about the Akhirah. You do this here, that's it's going to happen over there. So once you know that this is haram, then you must stay away from it and not justify your behavior through the haram in the name of Islam and say, this is my right. Then that's trouble. Then, unfortunately, what happens is that you get people who will say to you, we don't want you. Neither here if you're here, neither there if you're there. This is all something that came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's all a test. Allah save us all, protect us all. It is not out of amusement that I'm saying this. I'm saying this out of total concern for me and for you. It doesn't give me pleasure to say what I'm saying. It's something that's very, very uh, harmful and uh, very troubling for people to see that this is the way Muslims, unfortunately, have, have distorted themselves and their deed. So now, what is the rule then if somebody wants to behave uh, with the family of the Prophet? So what is the protocol? Who can behave with them in an informal way and who cannot? So here, this ayah, the next ayah tells us those people who are allowed to behave informally with the wives of the Prophet ولا نسائهن ولا ما ملك ما ملكت ايمانهن تقين الله ان الله كان على كل شيء شهيدا that there is no harm and no sin upon them in matters of their own fathers nor in matters of their own sons if their fathers and their sons they come and they're informal then they may come and be informal with them nor in, with their brothers nor with the children of their brothers, and nor with the children of their sisters, and nor with their women in general. If there's a woman who comes into the house of the Prophet they may be very informal with the wives of the Prophet and nor with those whom their right hand possesses, meaning if they have a maid, and the maid is there, uh, who is a woman, <coughs> obviously, then there is nothing wrong with them to interact with, the wives of the Prophet informally because that is what life is about and you don't want to uh, stop people from living. If you want to live in a very decent way then these are the people with whom you can live informally all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. For the wives of the Prophet then then at the end Allah says to them also what Allah they should fear Allah Meaning the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they should also fear Allah. So they have a higher standard of taqwa than the standard of taqwa for other women. And in that uh, same vein for with other men, for other men also. Because indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a witness over everything. So in the previous ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a witness over everything where he will testify if he wants to about such people and about such behavior that this is what you did and this is what you did and he observes everything and through his observation he will testify Shaheed <coughs> doesn't only mean to observe it means that after observation you testify uh, this is a uh, uh, you know, a 
standard of taqwa that is for the family of the Prophet which is very difficult to fathom and even more difficult to maintain so that's why they are the best of women of this ummah because they have to go through all of these standards and protocols in order to maintain their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the Prophet so their affinity with the Prophet came with this so it's a standard that we must uh, aspire to have in our communities not something that you want to reject or this difficult it is difficult but your, your mothers are your role models. When the Quran says the wives and the Prophet are your, are your mothers, that means what? You want to use your mother as a role model. I would hope and assume, as long as your mothers are good and pious, right? In conversations, people would say, My mother told me this, my mother told me this. Even though your mother may be totally unaware of what it is you're saying. And you still leverage your mother. Right. Why? Because you want to follow your mother. You want to mimic your mother. You want to please your mother. And your mother is the source of your life. And that's the same with Muslim men and women. That this was the standard of taqwa. You know, mothers, standard of piety, standard of ethics and morals and behavior. This is the way they were instructed to behave and this is how they did behave. And we must aspire, at least in our minds, to that ideal. Recognize it as an ideal. If it happens, good. And if it doesn't happen, at least you have the ideal. What has happened in the 20th century and now here in this, in this century is that this ideal has been uh, downtrodden, is being mocked, and is being discarded as if it is the most backward thing that the Ummah is promoting. It makes you retrogressive. And so we say, this is not about how you fit into the world today. It's about how you will fit into the world on the Day of Judgment. So just because other people in the world don't approve of these standards and these protocols, doesn't mean to say it's not correct, it's not valid, and it's not what Allah wants you to do. Our knowledge comes not from society. Our knowledge comes from Allah. When it's in the Quran and Sunnah, that is the standard we must implement in our societies, at least as an ideal. If we are not able to implement this ideal, that is the struggle that we must try and implement. But if you discard the ideal from the very beginning, and you start insulting the ideal, then you are doomed. Then you are now saying that whatever the Quran says is wrong. So in the process of implementing an ideal, we must appreciate that that's in time and space. It's not going to be overnight. And we must <coughs> take people for who they are and what they are without trying to impose the ideal on these people. But we must try to uh, give people orientation, give people the knowledge of the Quran and Sunnah, and at least let them acquiesce to acquiesce and submit their knowledge to the Quran. So, okay, this is what the Quran and Sunnah wants us to do. Fine. We're not able to do it. 
which is not trying. So now we must take some measure to implement this without driving people away from Islam because they're already driven away from Islam. It's bad enough that non-Muslims don't want you to be Muslim. That is suicidal that Muslims don't want you to be Muslim. I was with a certain alim the other day, mashallah, uh, in Chicago. And the day after the election, one very uh, frantic Muslim woman called up the imam and said that I've told everybody in my house to remove the name of Allah and the Rasul of Quran because now these names will never help us again. So the imam said that the one who is going to help you you are saying remove his name. The one being who is going to help you, you are saying that his name is not going to help you. You are alone in the world. Allah is the source of all help. And so so what, what's happening is that people misunderstand events in the world as if <coughs> Islam is the problem. And this is, because we're Muslim, we have one, okay? Meaning that non-Muslims don't have problems? Who's demonstrating against this? 50% of the country. And they're all Muslim? If they're Muslim, good, subhanAllah. In your mind, if they're Muslim. They're all non-Muslim. 50% of the country... Uh, who uh, the 50% that's demonstrating that they're all non-Muslim. And they're all saying that this is wrong. And which bandwagon you want to jump on now? I mean, take a pick. You know, this one is the left or the right. So doesn't matter. So you, you have totally uh, messed up your ability to see reality for what it is. You can't even see what's in front of you. The problem has never been Islam. The problem has always been you as a Muslim. Or not being a Muslim. Yeah. So Allah is going to help you. And that is now from the Quran. If you stick to the Rasul's formula of success, that will be good for you. And if you do what you're supposed to do, Allah will help you and preserve you, but it may come at a price. Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Because what I'm seeing is that these people who disagree with the result of the election, they're willing to sacrifice to make their voices heard. And still remain who they are. Right? So what the Imam is saying to this lady is that, look, you're not willing to sacrifice even a dime and you want to discard everything you previously believed in because of this perceived threat. And even if you take a page out from the non-Muslim, you should be out there on the streets protesting that I'm a Muslim and I'm not going anywhere. I was born here, I was raised here, this is my country, period. period. I don't care what you say. Are you willing to sacrifice the dying? This is about comfort. Muslims, when they come here, 
unfortunately, they're stuck in this square called comfort. I have to be comfortable, which is great. Allah gives us all comfort, al-afia, as the Prophet constantly all the time for afia. Allah gives all afia. But if you want to make a point, your comfort has to be sacrificed somewhere. Either in the way you appear, behave, and dress, or in the way that you demonstrate or protest, or in the way that you live, or that it costs money right, to do this. And costs time. What's your comfort zone? You don't want to give up your comfort zone. Those are <coughs> those people who went, uh, mashallah, to see the Cubs parade. I'm sure they, they sacrificed some comfort for a few hours in order to see them. Because there's some value to that in their minds. Is that true? Now, you don't see any value to this, therefore you don't want to give up your comfort and you want to blame Islam. That is because of Islam. That doesn't do with you and your Islam. It's about you and your comfort zone. You don't have the ability to sacrifice five hours of your life, of your comfort, uh, $50 of your spending money, whatever it is, you budget for, you know, incidentals, and then say to others, Muslims are doomed in this country. The spirit of defense must be there. If Muslims don't have the spirit of defense, then they're doomed. Period. So what am I saying? I'm saying fight for your rights. That's what I'm saying. It's the American way. It's the Muslim way. But since you want to be American, not Muslim, that is be American. Have you ever seen how people in this country, when they want something, that they really do sacrifice? And they stand up, and they protest, and they demonstrate, within, hopefully within the law. And they make the, themselves heard. Now all Muslims are being pushed aside. God forbid anything happens to us. Allah gives them comfort, and the Muslims don't want to do anything. And then, then saying that Islam is the reason. Maybe Islam is the reason why you should express yourself as Muslim. Be vocal about it. Tell your neighbors that this is who I am, what I am, what's going to happen. Always oh, scared. Oh, you're scared of cat. Now you're scared. Why? Because you see your comfort disappearing in front of your eyes. That was the problem in the first place. That I'm not willing to sacrifice anything for anything, for anyone. And this is why the ideals of the Qur'an must be reintroduced into the minds of people. And especially Muslims, so that they appreciate this is an ideal which is Islamic. And we must appreciate it as an ideal, not something that you want to, be, you want to discard. So the problem is not Islam. The problem is you. You are allowing people to hurt you. You are allowing people to violate you. You are allowing people to insult you. And to do what they want to do with you. And then you are saying that uh, it is because we are Muslim. That's not the case. 
people who are violated, they're violated because uh, people, other people are bullies. That's what I'm after. So we need to get our act together. Whatever happened in the election, whatever will happen, it is not because uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to destroy us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, uh, what's he doing? He's given up, given us a very, very loud wake-up call. Wake up. Stop assuming that you deserve comfort in this world. Stop assuming that. It's not your birthright. And even if you are privileged, Allah gives all barakah in whatever He's given us, it doesn't mean to say that you should not take care of it, maintain it. Everything has wear and tear with it. So your life of comfort has a natural wear and tear. Fix it. Take control of it. And the way you do that is not by destroying the whole house. The whole house of Islam is now wrong and that's why we are suffering the world. That's not the way you're going to revive the Ummah. It's not the way you're going to revive you as a Muslim civilization. The way you're going to revive you is by appreciating that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's is with us because of the Quran and Sunnah. That is the fadl that Allah has and the office of the Prophet This is an introduction, by the way, to the next ayah. See the next ayah? An ayah everybody knows, mashallah, that indeed Allah and his angels, they send salawat upon the Nabi. How do we see Allah's salawat and the angels' salawat on the Nabi? How do we focus on it, how do we visualize it, how do we observe it. What does the salawat mean? Salawat on the Nabi from Allah and from the angels and our salawat on the Nabi when we say Allah sallallahu Muhammad, what does it mean? It has many layers of implementation and execution. And unless we understand it holistically, comprehensively, you will not understand what it means to be a Muslim anywhere in the world. Yeah. Anywhere in the world. And if you go to non, if you go to Muslim lands, mashallah, ulama al-Hafiz, Muslims are being persecuted even more than they are here. Right? Even more than they are here. And then you still whine. It doesn't matter who comes in. <laughs> right? Unfortunately, we've developed this uh, disease of whining. So we do. Sit down and whine. Good times and bad times, it is whining. There's no sugar. Or whatever Allah has given us. Anyway, the way forward for me, uh, as, uh, as I'm, I'm trying to advise people, is that uh, you must not panic uh, beyond uh, what is necessary panic. It's not going to be rosy. There's no uh, Mickey Mouse agenda left in, in, in the U.S. of A. That doesn't exist anymore. But you do have a role to play here. And the role that you want to play here is remain firm in your deed, in your Islam. Let people know that we are here because we're Muslim. Positive thinking. It won't be easy. Allah will help us, inshallah. And we make sure Allah helps us and preserves us. But uh, we will stick to our guns and uh, remain true to the conviction that if we remain firm, Allah will give us, inshallah, His help which sometimes comes through your spiritual 
means and through your psychological means that you will not be perplexed and you will not be disturbed and you will not be broken by people who don't like you. The key there is to make them like you. In both ways. Liking you and like you. So, if you can do that, then Allah's father will be on everybody be the Nabi Mikdra. Allah gives us comfort Thank <laughs> you.